We're front and center on the flight line at the Sun and Fun Flying and Expo from Lakeland, Florida. Joined by Mark Baker, the president and CEO of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. This special Cigar Dave Show and Bold Alpha podcast is presented by Davidoff of Gen- Makers of Camacho and the Camacho Connecticut. Tame, but tuned up to deliver more flavor and more satisfaction. Morning, noon, or night, it is always the perfect time for Camacho, Connecticut. Camacho, strength and character. It's in our DNA. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. And by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha San Miguel, a medium to full-bodied Nicaraguan puro that delights the senses. of white pepper, gentle earth, and a sweet honey-like finish. San Miguel by Gurkha. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Absolutely one of my favorite times of the year and favorite places to visit. That is the annual Sun and Fun Fly-In and Expo at Lakeland Lindner Airport, Central Florida, halfway between Tampa, halfway between Orlando. We are on the flight line. Alpha Dave and Cigar Dave, your global alpha male-in-chief and five-star, and your captain as an aviator. When people say, are you a pilot? I say, no, I am an aviator. Because there is something very special about that, being able to take off from the ground, execute a flawless, safe flight, landing back on the ground. There's just something very special about it. And once you've been up in the air and you look down, you never want to be looking up. You always want to be looking down. And it is my pleasure to welcome the president and CEO of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, AOPA, Mark Baker. Mark, I am looking at this month's AOPA pilot, April 2021, and it's got a picture of you, and I see it every month when I read (laughs) flight training or AOPA pilot, and it's got your uh, column that I never miss, and it's great to have you in person. By the way, you look better, more informal here on the flight line than in this formal picture. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) I guess it's better as a relative term, but thank you. (laughs) It's great to be here. Mark, we appreciate the hospitality. I think this is, I think, the fifth or sixth year that we've done the show from the AOPA Pavilion, and I'm proud to say that not only uh, am I a member, but I am a longtime member of AOPA, and uh, proud to be a member. It is the oldest uh, pilot organization in the world. That's right. You know, thanks, Dave, for being a member. We do appreciate that. But since 1939, this organization has been uh, protecting the freedom to fly, which is unique, uniquely an American thing, if you know about the rest of the world. But uh, these four people sat around the room and said, hey, we better start thinking about how we could uh, lobby Congress, how to make sure that we get protect our airspace, how to work on safety, because safety in the 30s was a real challenge. About one in every three or four airplanes was wrecking every year. That's a bad percentage. Yeah, it wasn't that a good deal. <laughs> the barnstorming days and talk about the economy, how we protect the safety and, and the cost in, in aviation and inviting people into this great thing as you just described, general aviation. Mark, before we even talk about government affairs and legislative, let's talk about uh, the last year. It's been difficult for everybody. It's been almost like a dream, a bad dream for a year where people subject to lockdowns, movements restricted, masks. It's so wonderful to be here outside, nobody wearing masks, walking around, smiling, being in the sunshine. Not all states have that good fortune. But what did it do to aviation? Because I know that we saw what it did to 
uh, airlines, what did it do to general aviation? People that wanted to go out for a $100 hamburger on a weekend or learn to fly. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's a whole different year, right? A year ago, we didn't have this event. We weren't able to spend the time together talking about aviation. And it was very difficult early on in uh, last March and April and, you know, call it the fear of the unknown was everybody staying in one place. You couldn't even drive to the airport in theory in a lot of places. Um, so people were, really did hunker down early on and it, flights were way off. As people got protocols about how to be safe in flight training and, and really re recognizing like they did in, in RVs or boating, the Great Outdoors is probably one of the greatest elixirs of all time. And aviation started picking up last summer where the airlines were off 80, 90% on passenger loads. By the time we got to summer last year, we were already exceeding 2019 in general aviation. And it, it uh, we've seen fuel sales in, in some airports up 50, 60% over 2019. Uh, we now have an all-time high level of number of student pilots out there and then pilots that are upgrading ratings. Flight schools have never been busier as we are now. Really? Year, yeah, a year into this thing now. Flight schools are seeing people that say, I don't ever want to go back to the airlines. I want to go see my family. I want to go see my business. I want to go here. I want to go on vacation. Interesting. And they're taking airplanes and airplane sales and uh, are at an all-time high. Um, it's hard to find used airplanes at the moment. All the new airplanes are sold out for this year. Every, every manufacturer. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful for general aviation. Absolutely. And for those affected, unfortunately, it's not been good. But, you know, to everything, there's a little bit of brightness. And general aviation is seeing a really bright time right now. And I think we're giving people an exposure to an activity they may not have thought about jumping into, but they have maybe not going to the office a full time like they were. Right. They may have a few extra shekels because they're not spending on commuting or whatever else they're doing or then go on the cruise or whatever it was. Uh, people are buying into aviation like never before. Well, I use the opportunity to upgrade my avionics on my Cirrus. I put in the new Garmin GTN 750 Ooh. and 650 touchscreen, and boy, what a difference. I mean, it's just it's, incredible. It's an amazing device, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, I think about when I learned to fly in college at Syracuse University, it was a great time to go. January, late January of 1984-85, Cessna 152, there was no technology on that airplane except one radio and one navigational radio, comm radio and a nav radio. That was it. There was no iPad, iPhone, GPS, backup uh, 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 GPS. There was nothing. No autopilot. Nothing. <laughs> autopilot was my hand, my left hand on the yoke, the right hand on the trim and power. Exactly. There was nothing. And today, you look at the technology, and I tell people, I said, I learned to fly when we didn't have all this stuff. And I, I'm thrilled that I'm able to be alive during a time when I can experience it because it is fun to fly and never have to worry about figuring out entering a holding pattern again in my life. I just punch it right in to the Garmin flight uh, management system. Bingo. But it really makes flying more fun and safer. Well, it certainly has. Situational awareness, as we talk about right. aviation. Where are the towers? Where are the mountains? Where are the traffic? Uh, now it's right in front of you on your screen. It's not, you know, somebody in a radar room telling you, well, there's traffic at your 1 o'clock at 3,000 feet. You can actually see it on your screen. Right. And I think all of those technologies have contributed to general aviation safety. You know, we're twice as safe as we were just 20 years ago. Half the fatality, uh, you know, we lose still, unfortunately, three, 400 people a year. But if you think about it, that's one, one quarter what we lose in bicycle accidents a year. Right. Uh, it's still unfortunate and tragic, and we've, we're trying to get to zero. And we're not going to be satisfied until we get ever lower, but safety has become very significantly improved because of these technologies. No question. And you still have to know the technology. I know when I uh, transitioned to my airplane, 
there was a lot of technology, a lot faster, more powerful engine. And uh, my instructor gave me a good tip. He said, listen, don't do any hard flying. Just go on a short 50-mile cross-country, nice clear day. Slow the airplane down until you feel comfortable. And I went with an instructor for about 25 hours until I started to feel comfortable. And then at about the 75-hour mark, everything started to click. But one thing I always say, talking about safety, the plane never leaves without me. <laughs> if there's weather that's iffy, if there is some situation that I've been in, if I'm stressed or something, I don't leave. If there's some other situation going on, my feeling is the plane never leaves without me. Worst case, if I have to get back, I go on a commercial flight. But I find that a lot of times, people, the accidents we've seen, you've seen them, Mark, I've seen them get their itis. Where, and I take people down to Keys. You're, you reside down in the Keys. I remember about five years ago, I went down with some friends, and I said, look, it's summer. We're going to go down um, early, and we'll go to have lunch and come back. But the reality is, if there's a thunderstorm, I'm not flying in it. If I deem there's anything, so I make sure you guys bring just a short, small little overnight just in case. You don't have anything to be back tomorrow, right? Nope, nope, we're good. Fine. Well, sure enough, Florida summer weather, you never know what happens. About 1.30, big buildups, giant blob of red between Key West and Naples. And I said, we're not going anywhere. And it never moved. I said, hey, we'll stay over, we'll go back tomorrow. One of my friends said, but I got to get back tomorrow morning. I got this thing I got to be at. I said, what did I tell you? I said, tell you what. We'll drop you at the airport. There's a commercial flight. So we drop him off. Guess what? Got canceled. Got canceled. <laughs> he had to rent a car yeah. and drive seven hours to get back. And I said, what did I tell you? You said you had nothing tomorrow. And I said, I'm not risking anything. You know my policy. And being an alpha male, you got to be resolute. You're the captain. You run that, that ship. And so the moral of the story is the plane never leaves without me. So why get into a situation where you could get into, if he, somebody told me that, um, a, uh, a, a let me think. A flight instructor told me a, a great line. It's going to take me a few minutes to think about it. So we'll continue our conversation. But I guarantee it'll come back to me. And when I remember it, I will bring it up because it is very, very appropriate. Uh, I know there's one that says there's old pilots and bold pilots, but there's no old bold pilots. So well. that's that's one of them. <laughs> oh, I know what it is. A superior pilot uses his superior judgment. To avoid situations which may require the use of his superior skill. <laughs> and that is, and look, Mark, you, you fly airplanes too. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you looked and said, we're, we're going to have lunch, another $100 hamburger. Well, even uh, last uh, Sunday, last weekend I was up at Tavares where the seaplane flying. And I had my Super Cub on floats up there and it was great, but I was looking at the weather going, it's not going to be good sun next, last Sunday. And so we bailed out and started heading back. And I, I always remember my instructor said, wouldn't you rather be on the ground wishing you were in the air than being in the air wishing you are on the ground? Exactly. And uh, But today, again, with the technologies we have, there's no excuses to run into a thunderstorm. None. 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 Zero. I'm before you'd have to call flight service, hey, where's the line? Where's the weather? Yep. Now you see it right there. <laughs> Real time. And, you know, one of my instructors gave me a great point. He said, you know, you're filing for an, uh, an instrument flight plan. You've got to file an alternate. If the weather conditions at your destination airport are below a certain minimum. He said, why are, you, why are you doing it 45 minutes past where you're landing? He said, listen, with today's technology, if you see the weather's getting bad, don't go there. Don't go there. Get, <laughs> land before. Your alternate should be before you get to that weather. And it's I always file an alternate ahead of where I need to land. And now you see it on your screen. You see something, you land, and uh, it happened to me. I was coming back from Palm Beach about 10 years ago. All of a sudden, 
Big blob of red. I see him near Lakeland. Huge blob of red. Thunderstorm over Tampa International. And everybody's being put in holds for at least 40 minutes. And I said, no, thank you. I said, I think I'm going to divert over to Lakeland. And uh, I'm going to have lunch. And then we'll see what happens. Well, it stayed there all day. Left the plane here. Rented a car. And they were so nice uh, over here at the FBO, the fixed base operator. When I went to pay, I came back like three days later. And they go, you know what? You landed because of the thunderstorm. Good safety. We like to see that. No charge. I said, no, no, I insist. No charge, yeah. which was very nice. And so, and there are instances like that. And, Mark, I know that one of the things that Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association does, just like the cigar associations do, is advocate on behalf of their members, people that partake in their product, their service. So AOPA in Washington, dealing with the bureaucrats, never ends. Tell us how things are going with the new administration in Washington for pilots. Well, the good news is general aviation uh, has the ability to play a nonpartisan role. Everybody shares the sky, right. and, and they want to do it in a safe way. So we start with a pretty good entree to say, hey, we're just trying to make sure we're safe. People can do their business, and they can you know, make, a, make a living if they happen to be in aviation uh, and doing it that way. And we have a pretty good entree to all sides and, and, and have made big progress, and all the bills that we've ap- accomplished have been bipartisan which is almost impossible in any other category today. Right. And yet AOPA is recognized as one of the top 20 lobbying firms in the country. It's just amazing because we're punching way above our weight. You know, three, 400,000 members, we're one of the top groups. Right. And it's because we approach with, you know, the eyeballs with these folks and say, hey, we're going to educate you about what general aviation is. You know, it's a $250 billion business. There's a couple hundred thousand people making a living in this job right now, flight instructing, doing all the other things. They care about this country and trying to do the right things. So... And our military counts on us training pilots. Absolutely. Our alliance counts on us training pilots. And we need to move product, whether it's PPE equipment or Bingo. emergency equipment around the country. So we were able to keep all 5,000 airports open last year this time when there are a lot of localities that said, no, we're going to close all the airports. Well, if you're going to close the airports, you better close the highways, okay? Because we're just another highway in the sky. Right. And we were able to keep all these airports open to the amazement of a lot of folks. And there's also the uh, angel flights, the mercy flights for people that are ill, where business people and pilots and the plane owners transport people to cancer treatments or other treatments and that's happens every day it's happening now as we speak people cancer patients you know angels we have all these groups that are trying to do public benefit flying including you know moving dogs around the country and right. pets and all those kind of things people want to be helpful to the communities and public benefit flying is a very significant part of what our members do look at the hurricanes we're down in florida so we're subject to hurricanes but look at the bahamas who were the first people in private pilots that said look i can only carry 300 pounds or 200 whatever i can carry we're going and they got in there i was on the ground over in in palm beach where we were you know localizing all the flights over to uh, recover for dorian the grand bahamas and we had hundreds of flights a day moving in and out of there that these are not airports that can support airlines none none and there was no ship traffic that could go there because there's so much debris in the water general aviation was the only way to get to some of these smaller islands and out islands and support these people with water food power of work we could bring generators in no i find it amazing that uh many of the politicians that scream about climate change and the fact that we have to reduce our carbon footprint they're the ones flying around on very very expensive private jets (laughs) well it certainly seems to be a correlation there i don't know you know what i think think about is you know all the fuel that we burn in aviation is pretty small right well if you're trying to solve problems you shouldn't be starting here right uh we don't burn that much fuel nor do we create that kind of issue even at the airline world, it's, it's this much. A couple percent of all the fossil fuel burns a year in the whole world. It's nothing. Right. So if you want to solve problems, don't start there. That's my view. Because general aviation, we use a leaded fuel. 
that there's been alternatives looked at, but it's not that easy of a solution. But one of the things that I find uh, interesting, when you take a look at general aviation, that the impact it has, and we're seeing that sun and fun here. Look at all the kids that are here. You see, you see a wide section, young kids, seniors. You see everybody in between. Many people, and we talked about this with Lights uh, uh, Leanhouts, the CEO of Sun and Fun, uh, earlier, and he said, we've got people that are coming in, they're bringing their kids who are being exposed to aviation where now after 9-11 you can't go and walk onto an airport ground. And when I was a kid, I talked about my dad would take me to the Buffalo International Airport right at the end of runway 23 and uh, there was a, a bridge over a tunnel and I'd watch the planes take off and land and that's where I got my love of aviation. You can't just take a kid now to an airport. This allows the next generation up close who are going to be pilots aircraft owners and become members of AOPA. Well, I like you, you know, I, I went to the airports and just as entertainment, my family was always interested in watching airplanes in the 60s and, and there were penny a pound rides right up until I got to be 50 pounds. My dad paid for it after that. On my, that was my own. it. Yeah, but it was uh, that kind of exposure that excited all of us of that generation about aviation in a general aviation way. The generation before us was military guys, a lot of them coming out of World War II and Korea. But today, we have to do these events to get people and kids out to it. We now have a high school program at AOPA where we put a ninth through the 12th grade curriculum. It's a STEM-based training because there's a lot of math and flying, Absolutely. Right? And engineering to build airplanes. And you know, really, if you wanted to be a controller, you have to do geometry. Uh, there's a lot of great jobs in aviation. And so one of the things we started out uh, six, seven years ago now is building these high school programs in 38 states. There's 400 and some classrooms going on right now. 9,000 kids have voluntarily taken these really hard classes because they want to jump into vocation or university to follow up in, in aviation because we know these generational kids actually love aviation. Right. No, oh, and you, we're talking about the flight simulators. I mean, you look at Microsoft Flight Simulator just launched again uh, within the last six months. State-of-the-art, the the topography, oh. the graphics, the clouds, it's incredible. These are kids that are playing a joystick on their computer. So by the time they get to a real cockpit, they're like, oh, yeah, I know exactly how to operate this, this, and this. It's so realistic, and that's great for general aviation. It's amazing. You know, a couple of friends of mine teach in the helicopter schools, and the kids in the generation today, because their dexterity and their visual cues are so much quicker than what we learned right. on in our old days. Like you just talked about your old radios. You, eh, not so right. much. Not great. And these kids are getting in these helicopters or you talk to the Air Force. They're learning how to fly formation now with virtual reality. Right. You know, in half the time that they used to because they know those visual cues and be able to react to it so much differently. So it's a good thing to be an aviator today. No doubt about it. One of the things that AOPA does that we have the fortune of attending uh, about two years ago, you do these regional fly-ins. And uh, before you used to have a big convention, I think it was, I can't remember, was it uh, like February, January, February used to do it? Depends on the time of year, but yeah, yeah Peter like Knight used to do it right there in Tampa. Well, well yeah, and I remember you had one in Tampa, you had a big convention in Palm Springs that I went to, and then you, dis you abandoned that to say, look, we want to spread it out to more people regionally. So you've had one, I think, in New Orleans and Mississippi, you had one in Tampa, Peter O'Knight, right downtown. All right. And it was free. Yep. You didn't have to be an AOPA member, <laughs> and it was well attended. It was about a three-day, four-day deal, and the number of kids, parents bring their kids to get close to an airplane and see the airplanes taking off and see everything. Another way that you're exposing aviation to not only the next generation, but also just enthusiasts, people that say, hey, airplanes are cool. I may never be a pilot, but I think it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, well, they make great neighbors to airports too, right? Right. And uh, one of the things that's always interesting to me is when somebody you know complains about airport noise, but the airport's been there since the 40s or 50s Correct. or before. And we like enthusiasts because it's cool. Right. This country has such great freedoms to fly. You can access all 50 states with 5,000 public-use airports. doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And we encourage people to become an aviator. But if you just become a pal of an aviator, that's great, too. I got friends that say, well, what are you taking me up again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, when I had my Cessna 172, they're like, that thing's going to fly? <laughs> but when I got my Cirrus, they're like, yeah, great. When can we go up again? And, and it's just, to me, the freedom. And as a friend of mine said, he looked at me when we were cruising. I had it on uh, autopilot, and he said, now I get why you enjoy it so much. It was yeah. smooth. It was clear. You could see 50, 100 miles out. And he said, now I get it. I never really got, you know, the, the whole bug that you had about aviation, but now I get it. And I think when you expose people that way, once whether it's rides or just being around aviation, I think that's great for everybody. And you hit it right on the head. you got a lot of these airports that communities rely on. Mm -hmm. Because I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, there's some rural uh, cities that could be 100 miles from a major airport. Well, they need supplies. They need other things brought in. And now there's a way to get that. A number of years ago, Albert Whitted Airport, downtown St. Yep. Petersburg, the mayor at the time, a Republican at the time, wanted to get rid of the airport. They wanted, I think they wanted to make it into, you're right on the water, and they wanted to make it, I think, into a, um, a water treatment plant or condo, something, whatever it was. And it went to a city referendum, went to a vote. And I know AOPA was very instrumental in that. And they said, look, the amount of business, the amount of people that come in. And I think a lot of people thought it was pretty cool to have an airport right on the water where you could see the planes. It, the referendum to close the airport got whacked, got demolished. And I have friends that are like, hey, I don't even aviation, but this is stupid. We should have this. This is a good thing. And then hurricane relief in that, it's a hurricane area. Bingo. If you got the first planes into the Keys, as I know, and, and after uh, Irma three years ago, airplanes. The road was gone. There's no other way to get there. And airplanes took all the loads, took people down there, got people out of there, whatever needed to be done. If you don't have that access, you know, by fixed-wing airplanes, you can't move much. Camacho cigars are known for their strength and character. It's in their DNA. They're unconventional. Now, you know when you talk about a mild-bodied cigar with a Connecticut wrapper, it's the same story. Light, golden, mild, Yawn. Camacho decided they were going to strip it down and tune it up with more flavor, more satisfaction, enough to earn a seat at the Camacho table. While still maintaining a nice medium-bodied character, the Camacho Connecticut starts with a Connecticut wrapper from Honduras, a binder from Honduras Authentic Arojo, and Honduran Dominican Republic filler. What do you get? A nice medium-bodied cigar that is tuned up, that delivers cream, woody nuttiness to round out spice and sweetness. Camacho, Connecticut. Good any time of day or night, morning, noon, or night. You can never go wrong. Camacho, strength and character. It's in our DNA. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Mark Baker, President and CEO of AOPA, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Mark, we have a lot of people listening, saying, boy, Dave, it sounds great. And Mark, to fly and the adventure and to go places, okay, how do I learn? How do I start? So, Mark, how do we start? Well, you go to the website first. You know, you got to find out, you know, here's the things that's going to be required. And the website is? AOPA.org. There you go. Okay. okay. And uh, thousands and thousands of people access it every day, millions through the course of the year. 
And it is free to go and get that information. We'd like you to become a member when you become more interested in it because we've got a lot of values to offer. But let's just start with how you get interested in flying and say, hey, you know what? One of these days I'd like to do that. You can't believe t- the tens of millions of people that continue to survey say one of these days. One of these days. Today's the day. Today's the day. Okay. And you pick up the, your iPad and you go there and you go start looking at it and say, you know what? I'm going to go see my flight school. I can get, this flight school's got a pretty good rating. We have those ratings on right. there. We've got feedback, positive feedback. And you go, and go interview them. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, go find out if you have chemistry with this flight instructor. Then sign up for you know introductory lesson, and then start going down the path of really learning about flying. But take it for the fun factor first, you know. And you can get the books and then follow on and say, yeah, I can do this all at home. I can do my self study because all these now different systems, DVDs, and whatever right. you want to have, all online. All online. Look at Jason Shepard of M Zero A. Changed everything. Everything. Before he'd have the videos, the DVDs. Yeah. And today. You can oh get all that information. I remember I had to go to a weekend class to learn. It was like a two-day class to get the private pilot written to go through all the coursework. Today, you do everything online. And it, it's, it's hard work in one sense, but it's a learning. Anytime you're learning, you're working, right? Absolutely. And yet you can retain this stuff, and it's important stuff to know, but you can do it. And this is not a bridge too far or you know, a hurdle too high. It is something the average person wants to do it can do it. And so you take all those steps and you finally go get your license. And you can do that in a couple, three, four months if you put your mind to it. It might cost you know, between seven and $10,000, depends how long it's taking you to get it done. But one of the best investments you're ever going to make in your life. And then you can go decide to go join a flying club. I was just at a flying club in right. Fort Myers last night. They have 150 members. You know, to get into this flying club, they have three airplanes. To get in, 400 bucks. That's it. $45 a month. After that, you just pay as you go. Amazing. So it is affordable right. if you want to go into that portal. And I think it's the right portal for most people to go right. through. So AOPA.org. Learn to fly section, and uh, and I'm sure. Look, the 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 ability to access information today with the internet. You type in learning to fly. You type in private pilot license. You type in, you know, uh, go to YouTube. How to land a plane? How to take off? How to fly? The amount of information that comes up, and we just talked about Jason. We had Jason on two years ago, at the last uh, Sun and Fun, and he's a young guy that puts all these free videos up on the web. And it's amazing. Look, I'm an experienced pilot. I like watching him because a good pilot is always learning. Always learning. Always learning. And I always like to review things. And, you know, I found that during the uh, pandemic when things were a little bit shuttered and quiet, I would go in to my plane and I would get a power cart hooked up. Actually, I'd have him take it out of the hangar for me. And I'd hook up a power cart and I'd just sit in there for about an hour and go through in my mind. Okay, start up, take off. Okay. Plugging in flight plans. What happens if I have to uh, abort? What happens if I have an alternate? What happens if I have an engine failure? If I have smoke? I'm going through all those situations that you always train for, and I found just by sitting in there, everything comes back. It's a mental refresher. So when you do start it up, you're like, got it. Know exactly. Even if you're not flying, it's always in the, um, the memory bank. I always find pilots are, are mostly curious, curious animals. Uh, they really want to understand how does this work, what happens if I do this, what happens if I don't do that. And that kind of learning is very progressive, and you can share it with others. But it is one of those things that's fun. At the end of the day, when you're learning, you're having fun, and it makes you a safer pilot, a better pilot all the time. I find something interesting that uh, obviously I get AOPA Pilot Magazine. I also subscribe as an add-on to flight training mm-hmm. because even though it's really geared towards you know, newer pilots, I just find there's a tremendous amount of information in there. But I always get a kick out of employees of AOPA who are hired who are not pilots, 
who you feature saying, here's so-and-so. She just got her pilot's license. Right. Here's so-and-so. He just got his pilot's <laughs> license. It's great to see them where they said, I knew nothing about flying, knew nothing about aviation. I got this job in human resources at AOPA or accounting, and now I'm a pilot. Yeah. It's really fun to, you know, I, I take a number of those inspiration flights and get people excited about flying and seeing the world from a different view as you've gotten to see, looking down and looking around, you know, only the the aspect of doing it with the general aviation. You don't see that when you're in an airliner at 40,000 feet. You see it when you're flying around at 1,500 feet. The water, the colors, the animals, whatever it is that's your interest you. It's an amazing view. And yet, it's transportation, it's recreation, it's business. It does a lot of things. No doubt about it. I mean, you can combine it all. And even if you just go up, join a, a flying club, and say, hey, once a week, I'm going to go get, it's more than a $100 hamburger these days, but even you're just going to go and take three, four people up, yeah. you know, and just go a half hour away, an hour away. It's just cool, that whole process. And when you take friends, they, it's, a, it's a memorable, unforgettable experience. Always. I, people come back to me, and I've been flying now for over 40 years, and I, I don't even remember that lunch, you know, but they come back and say, you remember that time we went to have lunch in Chicago? Yeah, <laughs> but, right. it, but it is so significant. But I always encourage people, if you've ever thought about it, let's go try it. And try for five hours, ten hours. And if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Most people it is. Oh, it's definitely. The one thing I, I will tell you, you brought up an interesting point talking about interviewing your the flight school, the flight instructor, make sure you have the, the right uh, chemistry with your flight instructor. First instructor I had, no chemistry, didn't communicate, didn't know what was going on. I had a bad vibe. And I sat down with the uh, head of the flight school, and I said, look, I want to continue, but I don't want to continue. I remember the guy's name. It was Steve. And I said, sorry, Sergeant Steve, but different Sergeant Steve. <laughs> but I remember, because I still have a signature in my logbook when I first took the discovery flight. And I told the instructor, I said, look, uh, this chief instructor, I said, I'm just not comfortable. And here's why. He goes, "Don't, no need to explain. Here's what I want to do. I've got three other guys. Why don't we sit down with each one, talk to them, see which ones you like, and... Sure enough, I talked to all of them. They were all great. One of them I just connected with. And he was the guy that excelled me, and I trusted him because you have to have trust. And everything we did, he goes, listen, okay, I know what Steve did. We're going to have a different tact. What we're going to do here is first we're just going to go fly and learn to just turns, gentle turns. Don't worry, we're not going to do stalls. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. And then we'll do takeoffs. Then we'll do landings. But he guided me along the way. And so by the time I was ready to solo, I felt, Man, I'm confident. He looked at me and said, I wouldn't sign you off until you're 100% ready. And you have to have that, that uh, really that connection. And if you don't, you gotta, you got to make the change because you hit it right on the head. This is, some, this is almost like your, your physician. Yep. You know, you have, a, you have a relationship with your doctor, and they say, well, you, he's retiring. you got to go to someone else. And you're like, Ooh. no, no, but he's not Dr. So-and-so. <laughs> it's the same thing. You have to have that same connection, uh, you know, with your flight instructor. But the nice thing today is, again, you go online, you see reviews, you have the access to information. Mark, let me ask you, you um, have been now the president CEO for, what, about 10 years? Eight years. Eight years. Eight years. But you weren't an aviation professional. Oh. You weren't a lobbying professional. You were actually in the home improvements business. That's right. Now, tell us about your background. Well, I uh, went to the University of Minnesota, but I was starting out uh, up there in the 70s at a little company called Knox Lumber Company, working for three World War II veterans. One was a B-17 guy got shot down, one was a Navy instructor pilot, and the other was a tank commander battle of the balls. And as I was working through the University of Minnesota, two bucks an hour, by the way, um, the, uh, Wait, how much did you say an hour? Two dollars and twenty nine cents an hour, and I might have been overpaid, by the way. Probably whatever. Oh, you were making two twenty nine. Two twenty nine. Two dollars and twenty nine cents an hour. Okay, worth almost half that. Um, and I uh, 
really got to like these guys. I learned a lot from these, these you know, greatest generation. And they said, tell you what, kid, we'll give you uh, a year. We'll pay for your college if you give us one year after you graduate. Really? Yeah. And I, while I was going to the University of Minnesota, I got my pilot's license. I did it right. around school. So you knew you had a job as soon as you graduated. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so I did all that, and you know, we grew the business a bunch and ultimately became a small owner. And, and then we ultimately sold it, uh, which we shouldn't have, but we did. Uh, I didn't really have much of a vote on it. But it was really a great learning experience for 15 years at a lumber yard, buying lumber, timber, you know, big construction. Up in Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then I uh, moved to Florida down here in the middle 80s with Scotty's Lumber. Scotty's in Lakeland, yeah, Winter, Haven. Yeah, Winter, no, Haven. Winter Haven. Winter Haven. Winter Haven. Winter Haven. Auburn Dale, Winter Haven, yep. Sure. And uh, was the first vice president of merchandising for those guys, bought product and traveled all the 160 Scotty stores of Florida. Uh, Scotty's was big. That was before Home Depot, before Lowe's. Yes, well before. And then I, did, you know, I got to know a lot of the guys that started that little company up in Atlanta called Home Depot. Yep. Uh, and Bernie and Arthur, and, and they weren't making any money. They offered me a job a couple different times, and I kept saying, "Now you guys are losing money." And then one day they said, "Hey, we'd like to make you the president of the Midwest Division of Home Depot." I thought that's pretty cool. How many stores are up there? None. None. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a lot of upside. <laughs> it was all upside. <laughs> you opened one, it was 100 percent growth. <laughs> exactly. So I went up there in the uh, early 90s, and um, what city? Uh, Chicago. 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 And uh, from uh, basically Pennsylvania to the Dakotas down to Missouri. Uh, opened up um, about 100 stores over several years, a couple of years, three, four years. Hired 30,000, 40,000 people, created a $6 billion business there, and then it became the chief operating officer of Home Depot in Atlanta for a number of years until uh, the 2000s. And I kind of retired from that. And I started up a company called Gander Mountain, the Hunt Fish Camp Stores. What's it called? Hunt uh, Gander Mountain. Oh, Gander Mountain. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was CEO for that back when I was doing Oh, big. absolutely. Yeah. Sure. And uh, took that thing public and sold my piece. Uh, but it was Hunt Fish Camp, all that kind of. Yeah. It was one of the bigger gun sales guys in the country. Uh, then I did Scott's Miracle Grow. I was on the board for that, ran that for a while. Then I did a turnaround for a West Coast uh, hardware chain called Orchard Supply, sold that. Uh, and then I got this call eight years ago and said, How would you like to run a nonprofit? And I said, On purpose? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they said it's an aviation and once I understood it was AOPA I said I'm, I'm devoted to it I've been a lifelong aviator I've owned, owned over 100 different airplanes wow and um, you know, I just love flying so you didn't go seeking the job nope. you just kind of got a call yeah. and why did they say they selected you obviously you know your management but did they know you were a pilot Oh, yeah, they knew it was about they had done, and I donated a little bit here in there in the backgrounds of uh, AOPA and got to know some of the people a little, but I had never been to very many of the functions. I was just busy flying. <laughs> right. And uh, they wanted somebody that had business background that could, um, you know, because there's a P&L in every, everything you do. Absolutely. And uh, to make sure that we could uh, make it all work. And I had worked on, on some of the stuff in the Hill before, whether it was a uh, sustainable timber industry or the firearms industry. So I had been around a little bit uh, on, the, on the legislative side. So... It was completely out of the blue. I did not expected it. And then a couple months after we met, uh, I met all the board members and said, job's yours. You want it. I said, wouldn't do anything else. I love it. So what has been the biggest, I mean, you, you went from running these mammoth companies <laughs> to the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, where essentially you have 300 some odd thousand shareholders. So no different really than a public <laughs> company. That's right. But it's just a total, it's a 180 because one is you're dealing with consumers that come in and buy product every day. This is a little different. It is a little different, but at the end of the day, you know, what I believe is we have a product. And the product is we sell conviction that we're going to keep your freedom to fly going. And our product is worth everything plus an education and safety that we do uniquely compared to anybody else in the world. As well as communicate to the, to the legislators why general aviation is what it does. So our product is that. 
and they're buying that every day because they, they can choose not to be a member. I don't right. know why you would, but this organization has convened the whole general aviation public. So let's, let's drive together versus separately in making sure this happens. So I believe that we have to be a good product for the, for the aviator, and we have to earn it every year. And that's probably one of the things I brought to the association world that probably was a little different than just you know kind of treating a, a member as a kind of a given. Right. And uh, no, we have to earn it. And I work hard to make sure whether it's basic med that we got done, you know, making sure that we will have alternative fuels, making sure we do have these high school programs. You have to earn it. Make sure we don't privatize the federal aviation system like they have in Canada, NAV Canada, where you want a flight plan, you pay for it. You land somewhere, you pay for it. Here, I know that when I fill up my tank, there's a tax in there. I don't know what it is. What is it, 25 cents a gallon, yeah. 50, something like that? No, 25. 25 cents a gallon. And I don't have to file a report at the end of every month or quarter. I don't get a bill. I know that the more I fly, the more fuel I use, the more that goes to the FAA, right. and I don't have to worry about it. And there's been attempts over the last 15, 20 years to privatize it, saying, well, look at Canada. It's a great example. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so either. You know, in Canada, you'll see right now uh, the, the ATIS, you know, what we call uh, Air, right. airport information. Right. Uh, we'll say in Winnipeg right now, hey, due to a controller shortage, there's no VFR landings today. Really? Winnipeg. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and VFR, for those that don't know, visual flight rules, and IFR, when the weather's bad, instrument flight rules, instrument meteorological conditions. So on a nice, clear day, that's a visual flight. You want to yeah. go in to one airport. Like I know, if I want to take off from Tampa International and I want to fly into Orlando International, I don't need permission. I just go and... You know, as long as I've got my flight plan, whether it's IFR or VFR, whatever, no problem. I just have to talk to the right people. But in Canada, you better have paid your fee or they'll yep. be charging to you. Or they'll deny you access if you haven't paid really? your fee. Uh -huh. And now they're really trying to make sure that the airlines are handled, not general aviation. So they will discriminate, which they don't do in this country. Like you nope. said, you can go to uh, Orlando International. You have just as many landing rights there as, Absolutely. Amer as American Delta or anybody else. They don't own that airport. The public does. And the controllers are great about getting you in. And I'll tell you, in Tampa, it's interesting because I was talking to one of the controllers. And he said, listen, we love general aviation because the more what they call movements, the yep. more flights that more. we handle, the more pay. Yeah. And Tampa's, I think, a top tier. I don't know what the tiers are, but it's considered, you know, in the top tier mm -hmm. in the country. And they can't be, you know, they're, they're fantastic. They can't be, uh, you know, helpful enough. That's and right. so we take that for granted in this country. But you go to Canada, and you talk about a bureaucratic system. <laughs> you go to Europe, that's another bureaucratic system. And my feeling is aviation was invented in the United States of America. It's truly an American industry, an American pastime. And we should keep the skies open, and we do, as opposed to many of these other countries that try to restrict access. You know, about 80% of all the airplanes ever invented and ever flown in the world were built here in the U.S. Right. Yeah, of all the the whole world, 80% of them were done here. And then if you look at what's being built today, it's still, you got Boeing and Airbus that share the big world. Right. But all the other airplanes, for the most part, are made here. And in the, the technology States. comes here. That's I mean, right. you look at Garmin. Garmin was a, nobody heard about Garmin 25 <laughs> years ago. Right. You know, it was King Radios or whatever, Bendix. And, and now you've got Garmin and you've got... Uh, Avidyne. I mean, Avidyne. I mean, look at, look at you know, one of the systems uh, I was telling somebody, uh, ForeFlight, yeah. which is an app for your iPad. Now, think about this. If you would have said, Mark... 30 years ago, when you're flying, 40 years ago, there's going to be this device, this electronic computer you put in your, your, your airplane, and you're going to be able to see a map, and you're going to be able to see weather and your flight plans and other airplanes. You'd be like, what are you, nuts? What are you smoking? <laughs> it's not legal. But 
that's a company just started by a couple of entrepreneurs, I think about 10 years ago. Got so successful and so big, Boeing came along, which owns Jeppesen, another navigational data company, and they bought them. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, hey, you guys keep doing your thing, and the improvements keep coming out. But you didn't see that uh, you know, from other places of the world. It's always in the United States. Yeah, the technologies, and I know both the founders of uh, Fourflight quite well. They're really great innovators. They still stayed with the business to keep it going, thank God, uh, to make sure that they can have, you know, innovations coming every right. week, every month. they got a great team of developers. They make improvements pretty much every two weeks. No That's doubt, like, no everything's doubt. Everything's coming out of this. You think, how could it possibly be right. better? And, and it they gets find better. a way. <laughs> they no, find they find a way. a way. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's I look back, the old maps, when you'd have the sectional maps, and I'd be folding it, and I'd... For my flights, I remember when I was a, a private pot student pilot, taking a pencil, marking where I'm going. Measuring hey, the distance and time. Yeah, who does that anymore? You go online, <laughs> file your flight plan. I'd have to call, yes, I'm following my flight plan. What's the weather? It is incredible, and AOPA is there making sure the skies stay open. That's right. That's our job, and I think we've done a really good work at it over the last 82 years, and that's why our membership is so strong and gets stronger right now because the number of pilots coming back, upgrading, returning. It's amazing how many people are coming back to aviation right now or just starting it in the first place. There are 35, 45-year-old person jumping into aviation. Gurkha is known for producing the world's finest cigars. When you look at their blends, you look at their packaging, you look at the bands, everything about Gurkha screams quality. Gurkha has just released a new cigar that is totally about absolute taste and quality, the San Miguel by Gurkha. It's a Nicaraguan Puro, Nicaraguan wrapper, binder, and filler. Perfect, medium to full-bodied balance, loaded with complexity, layers of flavor, including white pepper, a nice natural earth tone, finished with a sweet honey-like taste. San Miguel by Gurkha. Features 100% Aganorsa leaf, Nicaraguan shade-grown Corojo wrapper, double Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. If you're looking for a medium to full-bodied beauty, go no further than the new San Miguel by Gurkha. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Last segment with Mark Baker, President and CEO of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Mark, let's talk about membership. Somebody wants to join. They go on to AOPA.org. They say, I want to learn to fly. But you know what? I'm looking at the membership, and I see that I get this magazine called AOPA Pilot, which has all sorts of great information that comes out every month. It's really the Bible of, uh, of aviation. And then I can do an add-on called flight training, and that's going to be great for me because I do want to learn to fly. And there's different things, uh, learning about, uh, you know, different how to land better and how to uh, do different maneuvers. So I want to get that. So what does that cost me? So the basic membership is about 79 bucks a year. And I say that about because if you're a student pilot, you know, you're a young person at the University of Minnesota or University of North Dakota, it doesn't really matter, uh, you get first six months free. You do? Yeah. So if you're a student pilot at one of those universities, we take care of you. We help you out. And then you can get just the flight training magazine if you want to just start there for $49. And then what I consider to be the smartest investment if you're going all the way to be in aviation and being sincere about it. We have this uh, medical services and legal services for another 100 bucks. So it's $199. You get you know, about five hours of legal protection that will help you and get the right lawyers to work on if you get in trouble for anything. Or if you're trying to buy an airplane, trying to lease an airplane, trying to release a hangar, all that legal services available. If you have any kind of medical condition that you need to have advice about making sure your doctor knows how to handle that, because we have five people that sit there that are medical 
experts that work with the FAA to make sure that you can get all your stuff done the correct way. So I think that's the smartest membership. And you've combined that because I remember mm -hmm. I used to be separate and it was mm -hmm. more. Yep. And I know I subscribe to that. Yep. And uh, they're very helpful. And, you know, one of the things that you do advocate for is, Look, as pilots get older, they get medical conditions, but some, at one time, certain things were limited, like high blood pressure or somebody, you know, had a heart attack or had a cardio, uh, what do you call it, like bypass surgery or whatever. Stent or whatever. Yeah, stent. And, and uh, even, you know, a friend of mine had um, uh, um, cancer, kidney cancer. And sure enough, he was grounded, but he went through and used AOPA. They guided him on getting back in the air. And those are services you're advocating for as well for pilots. And you're also dealing with the medical, the legal end of the FAA to make sure, hey, we want our guys to be able to get in. We don't want unreasonable regulation. We want it safe, but we don't want to put up all these obstacles. And I know you've been fighting for a lot of uh, members. Yeah, we have. You know, the biggest legislation, which was done now five years ago, is the basic med, which means you work with your own doctor, not an AME. Right. You're a medical examiner. And the idea that you know about working with your doctor and what the right things to do are. And things like you said, pressure used to be prohibited. You know, if you had diabetes, prohibited. All those things are now can be approved right. by your doctor in your office right now and fly third class or basic med. Those are big improvements, and we've got 63,000 people flying basic med today trying to improve us, trying to make sure you're flying safe. Because it doesn't do us any good to go around in regulation if it right. does make it safe. Right. We've proven over the last five years no difference in safety at all. Right, exactly. Uh, you, before we talk about a couple other things, I want to go back to the, your Home Depot days. You know, I see Bernie Marcus, who's on... Fox News and some of the other networks. He's 90-some-odd years old. He is sharp as a tack. He is. He's a good friend. And uh, he seems like the kind of guy you want to go have a cigar and have a cocktail with. <laughs> he just is so uh, down-to-earth and uh, came from nothing, really. I mean, and that's, I think, what America's all about. You start, parents were immigrants, and he founded, uh, co-founded one of the success stories in this country. He sure did. You know, and he um, got let go from Handy Dan out in the West Coast and came to Atlanta. Uh, he couldn't get in a loan up by a house. Right. He was, he had an old beat up Cadillac, and that's about it. I know the story well because I was there shortly thereafter. Right. And uh, it talks about Americana and the principles of working hard, working fair, and working with people to create something unique. And the Home Depot didn't have a unique piece of plywood or a unique hammer. Right. It had a unique experience because we had trained people could help you sell, you know, do wiring or plumbing or whatever else was in the store. And then people got promoted by working hard in these stores. We went from, you know, I think 100-someone stores when I joined to 1,300 stores when I finished up. And, you know, $50 billion business. I mean, the largest home improvement center in the world. It's one of the second largest retailers in the world. And all done by treating people well and taking care of them, working hard. It, it sounds like a real and unique concept. And they're pretty unassuming guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Arthur Blank is very successful, also owns the Falcons high profile. But yep. these guys seem to be pretty unassuming. And, uh, and I think that's a great story that, again, Guys that had the knowledge, and I think they, they teamed up with, um, what's his name in New York? I Ken see Langone. Him. Ken Langone. And uh, well, he talks that he helped co-found it, and I guess he was, what, the financier behind it to help get them? Well, he went off and uh, he, he helped arrange getting money for all these different uh, investors to get going. One of, the, one of the unique investors that we had was um, uh, Frank Borman. Frank. Oh, sure. Eastern Airlines. Eastern Airlines and, and Apollo 13. Apollo 13, or right. 11, 11. He was 11. Uh, 11. Uh, 11. No wait, was it Apollo? What was the one that landed on the moon? That was Apollo Eleven. He was sitting in. He's sitting in the. No, 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 no. He was in the one that went on Christmas. Yeah. Uh, that just orbited. Was that? Was that Eleven? No, that wasn't. It was Eleven. Was it Eleven? I think okay. so. 
Pretty sure, because uh, he's got the big moonshot. You know, that was okay. part of his his troop yep. when they did around the moon, and they did the whole thing. And and uh, he's looking at that. Frank's a good friend. He's still flying at any two. Is he really? Yeah, he I, I remember when he was president of Eastern Airlines and he did the commercials. Yeah. You know, and he walked. He was, he was with the first board member of Home Depot. Was he really? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, his his wife had him uh, ready to invest two hundred thousand dollars in uh, in Home Depot stock. I mean, when it was brand new. And she told me, you got to sell one of those shares because we can't all afford this. You know, Eastern's going this way. And blah, 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 blah. and so he sold that. But that became $100 million. <laughs> <laughs> so it kept him in airplanes. So Frank's a good guy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's just fascinating to see, again, talk about America. Only in America you see that happen. Guys that work their way up yep. and then founded a company, better idea, proved upon it. And I know, uh, Mark, that... Uh, you continue your efforts at AOPA, AOPA.org. Yep. And we always talk about going flying. I got to come and see in the keys. Keep telling you. I'll tell you what, I got your cell number. <laughs> okay. I promise. Now that uh, I got to go back and get recurrent, but we're going to do that. And as always, we appreciate you joining us and the hospitality that uh, AOPA. And I'm proud to be an AOPA member for I don't know how many years, 30 some, more than that. I think 40 some odd years or whatever since I was a, a, a youngster. And thanks for the gift. Enjoy the cigars. Mark <laughs> Baker, President CEO. Hope you enjoyed our uh, coverage from the two. 2021 Sun and Fun uh, Expo and Fly in Lakeland, Florida. Alpha Dave and Cigar Dave saying, live it up and may all your landings be greasers. 